Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We did the welcome prayer together for the whole year last year, and uh, I've been saying welcome, 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 because I want you all to feel so welcome here. I want you to know that we uh, think of you, we pray for you. I love this series, and your willingness to introduce us to your friends from around the globe it's just been terrific. I think I always want to stop and say, okay, so Sarah from Nebraska, how did you introduce us to Catherine from Sweden? Like, how do you know each other? So that would be a whole long series of how all those connections happen. Kevin Bacon, what is it? The six, six degrees to the next relationship. So we have been talking about friendship. We've been talking about introducing your friends to other friends and why that's so valuable. We've been talking a little about the two steps of loving God and loving others as it relates to relationship with people. And as we finished that series, when all of you were so amazingly connected to us and sending us your friends, we uh, decided that it might be a time for me to introduce you to some of my friends. Now. I have to admit that I have a lot of friends. I think God gave me a unique ability from my side of it to meet people and feel immediate kinship with them. But um, in, in part of the work I've done and part of the way I was and part of my history all kind of comes together. But then there are levels of friends, and we've talked about that. The front porch friends, the curb friends, the bedroom friends, the family room friends. And so I have taken an opportunity to introduce my friends to you, but most of the friends that I am bringing to you, including today's friend, are friends that I call bedroom friends. They are near and dear to me. And Sandy Wilson is with us today from the Nashville area. She and her husband, Garth, lives in Franklin, Tennessee. Hi, Sandy. Hey, sweetheart. Oh. It's so good to be with you. It is a delight. It's wonderful to see you and to hear your voice. And I know one thing that I'm looking forward to is in a few months from now, I'm going to see your face if the pandemic will let us, but we're preparing for it. So, Sandy. I want to um, begin our time as I have with the other friends I've introduced and will do, and that is your version of <laughs> our first meeting. And you laugh because we know. <laughs> well, you know, I, we've talked about this a little bit uh, in years past, and I think we have a different remembrance of this because, as I recall, you stood me up. <laughs> Um, we were supposed to meet at this lovely hotel in Scottsdale. My husband and I had moved to Arizona after he had retired early. We had lived in Ohio. Uh, he had worked for a company that was headquartered there. And our mutual friend, Karen Maines, thought we would just be perfect for each other. We had some things in common as we'd written some books and we did some speaking and blah, blah, blah. And she thought we ought to meet. And so uh, I don't, I think I called you, but I'm not sure. Uh, you may have called me, but I don't remember. But anyway, we, we set this time to meet for lunch 
And I, you didn't show up and you didn't show up. And I assumed that you would be on time. You <laughs> sounded such a brat. And I know you now to be a very punctual person. And um, uh, anyway, long story short, you didn't show up. I finally got a phone call and an emergency situation was in your life. So it wasn't just a whim or you just took it in your mind that you weren't going to like me and didn't show up. So we did then reset a time and you did show up the second time and we did have our lunch together and got acquainted and the rest is history. So that's how I remember us meeting. Yeah. Well, so of course I don't remember that at all. I think that's a, a stray cat you've just walked through the room and displayed. Um, I do remember Karen saying and uh that we should be friends and i remember thinking ye gads a little fishes i don't ha need another friend and i don't know this woman oh. and and you if i this is how i recall you called me three times and i oh i'll get back to you okay bye okay gotta go now and the truth was i was putting you off and then finally i said yes and now i didn't show up so your life was busy. I was new to Arizona. I had nothing but space in my life. Your life was crammed to the gills with friends. You had more friends than a dog had fleas. And so here, <laughs> the last thing you needed was this strange woman from out of town calling you. Three times and I thought, oh, okay, I'll go. Like, I remember thinking if there was ever a pity lunch, okay, I'll go, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Poor baby. Uh, and then uh, the other part of it was your vocation. So, oh dear. Okay. Oh so, dear. so now I. And let me just say this: there are some circles where an earned doctorate <laughs> is not considered a liability. It's not considered a where an earned PhD is considered a good thing. <laughs> Oh, you slay me. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, isn't she wonderful? So, okay, so here's what I want us to do. I, this question, and I, for all of you who are listening, I think this is a wonderful question to ask a friend of yours. Like, whoever that is, say to her, hey, Sarah, do you remember the first time we met? Do you remember the first time you saw me? I want to tell you the first time I remember, or vice versa. I, I promise you, we all have this different perspective about it. And I think it's delightful to look back at it, especially if it's a friendship that has grown and matured. So Sandy, um, as you noticed, I did not give you my usual glowing introduction with all of your illustrious accomplishments. And I'd like to do that in a different way today by just asking you, could you just tell us about your story, you know, your history, where you came from, what you've done in your life. I'm not going to say that you and I have lived enough decades to have done plenty of things, uh, but, I, but I want our audience to get a feel for who you are, what you've done, how you've done it, not just a long list of, of accomplishments. Well, I think it's important for me to say, first of all, that I have a keen sense of the fact that I'm here because 
uh, my heavenly father and my mother wanted me here because <laughs> I was intended to be an abortion. My, I've never met my own father. I uh, have never known him, never, never seen him. He wanted me to be an abortion, but my mother did not want me to be an abortion. I, um, to say that I was from a dysfunctional family background is to minimize it. Uh, my mother uh, that marriage ended in um, difficult ways. It was not even a legal marriage because um, my biological father had a already abandoned a family. My mother remarried and my stepfather was an alcoholic. So I grew up the first um, 13 years of my life in an alcoholic family and was what's called the hero. So that meant I was the one who was supposed to be the perfect, really responsible child who did everything well and proved to the world what a wonderful family we were. And um, that helped launch me into a lifestyle of achievement, which, um, of course, keeps you in school until you earn all those funny little letters behind your name. But it also creates an external perspective to life so that what matters more is how you look than really how you are inside. And that has a lot of downsides to it, as I've learned through the years. And God has been very patient in helping me work through that. And some good counseling has mm -hmm. helped me work through that um, through the years. And I think it's also helped me uh, to become a useful counselor and spiritual director along the way. I uh, married at 19 with just two years of college, married a great guy. He was the big basketball hero in, in college. And um, we had two children and I devoted myself to being a full-time homemaker and loved that. I really did. I loved that. We had two healthy children, a son and a daughter. They were active in sports. They were active in school. My husband worked hard for a large company and progressed through it. And um, I, was the homeroom, uh, cookie baking, <laughs> carpooling, um, you know, taught some neighborhood Bible studies. And our children were very athletically inclined, both of them, and, and they excelled in, in particularly in swimming, and more particularly our son to such an extent that eventually uh, he made the 1984 Olympic team. And I mentioned that not only to brag about it, but also because <laughs> you have listeners who have children who are involved in competitive sports and that'll give them a, an idea of how life consuming that is. I mean, that just really does absorb a lot of your life. And eventually uh, our older son, uh, our older child, our son, left for college, and I decided to go back and finish my college degree. And I managed to do that without missing any of our daughter's basketball games. <laughs> she was still in high school, but I was determined not to neglect her. Um, I hadn't 
neglected her brother's activities and I was determined, let's face it, I was that perfect adult from the, the hero from, uh, you know, alcoholic family. So of course I had to do it perfectly. And um, I managed to do that. And then when she graduated and went off to college, I got a master's and I worked two years uh, at the master's level as an oncology social worker. And that was a valuable experience and working with cancer patients and their families and learned a lot about grief and, and um, working with folks who were dying and facing end days. And, and that was very valuable. And eventually I felt led to pursue what had been a distant dream for a long time, which was to pursue getting a doctorate in counseling psychology. And of course, that's what got me in trouble with you. What <laughs> my doctor. And, 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 and I didn't recognize those I know. polite words of counseling and psychology. I came <laughs> home and said, I had lunch with a shrink today. <laughs> terrible, terrible of me. I'm so sorry. It's funny, but it's not funny because it was terrible of me. Okay, sweetheart. But, you know, I'm so grateful because by the time I was pursuing deeper into psychological theory and all of that, I had had so many decades of uh, study and teaching um, of scripture that I was able to very naturally integrate the truths of scripture and of what really does deeply change people with um, the principles of psychology. And um, that was so helpful to me. And really, I think proved helpful to the folks that I worked with. And ultimately, I um, directed a church-based counseling program. And, and just shortly after finishing uh, my doctorate, I was asked to write my first book, which was Counseling Adult Children of Alcoholics, which has long been out of print. So don't anybody, you can't even find used copies of it because I know seminary classes that have looked for it much to their chagrin. So, um, and then that led to subsequent books like Released from Shame, which I know that you will be offering to your listeners. And then in uh, 1993, my husband retired early and we moved from Ohio to Arizona. And then that's when our paths intersected. Mm. So it's hard to believe that we have known each other now for 27 years. Unbelievable. I know. So when you came in 1993, what were you doing? Um, Garth had retired. So Garth had retired, and um, I did not resume a clinical practice when we moved to Arizona. Um, I was still teaching. I don't think I'd mentioned that, but I was doing some seminary teaching, teaching counseling courses at the seminary level, and uh, still doing some writing and speaking. And I had the opportunity to speak in wonderful places around the world. Uh, in Hawaii and in 
um, Amsterdam and Australia and South Korea and just wonderful experiences that I would never have imagined that would open up to me and meet just these wonderful people and to be able to tell people in different cultures how much God loved them and how no matter what had happened to them in their past, no matter what had happened to them in their childhood, that didn't need to keep them from being all that God intended them to be. And I think if there's anything that it's important for us to know, it's that Nothing anyone has ever done to us or told us about ourselves, um, crippling about ourselves, needs to keep us from being all that we can be, all that God intends for us to be. Um, really, I just, I think that sometimes we listen to those old uh, tapes that play in our minds. And I know people have been saying this for a long time. This isn't a new thing, but I think we need to be reminded of it. And when I first started saying it so long ago, it was a new thing. <laughs> and uh, really that's, it's true. It was, uh, and uh, people hadn't heard it particularly in the church. Yeah. And so for someone coming out of a church background to say those things. At first, I think some people were kind of shocked. And then um, they thought maybe there was some validity to that. You know, Sandy, so I, there were, yeah, wait, I want to just stop you for a second because uh, I, I remember as a younger person, I don't know how old I was, that um, the word ology, the adding suffix of ology, uh, just meant yes. that whatever the preceding prefix was that was the study yes. of that so exactly exactly there was theology and we, we that right. was the study of god and mm -hmm. i remember the first time like like you just said a long time ago i was speaking to an audience and uh, you know that's what i did i taught the bible i spoke and taught the bible like you wrote books afterwards but never planned to do any of that and this notion of psychology. Now, I've been raised in an environment where psychology was bad, taboo, because, right. because mm -hmm. it, it separated. There was a separateness. And you were among, 27 years ago, you were among the people who I valued as a person. I remember an early conversation you and I had about image management. And, mm -hmm. but, and subsequently, the psychology, the study of man, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe, Sandy, a, a verse that I have quoted thousands of times, and that is not an exaggeration, came from your heart one day, Psalm 51.6. Can you mm -hmm. expound on oh. that? So expound on that verse right oh, now. Yeah. God, God wants us to have truth in our innermost being, and he will give wisdom in the hidden parts. 
And the Hebrew word that's translated hidden is the word tuchot. And that word in the original Hebrew means something that has been whitewashed over. Um, and think about that. That is such a vivid picture of a part inside of us that is unknown to us. But God wants us to have truth in our innermost being. He wants us to be people of total truth inside and outside. Mm -hmm. And God will give that wisdom. So it isn't that a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a counselor is going to give you that wisdom. It is God who is the the spirit of God who is going to give you that wisdom. Now the spirit of God uses and speaks through people today. Yes. And he may very well choose to speak through uh, one of those folks mm -hmm. to give you that wisdom. He may also decide to use just a portion of scripture to give you that wisdom or reading a book written by someone to give you that wisdom or listening, dare I say, to a Donna Auto <sighs> podcast. Oh, you dare say. You well, honey, um, I, 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 I feel such a moment of joy in my soul right now because I never thought about talking about this before we before right now and so I am going to take a moment to do it God is so wonderful to remind us of things but I do believe that that verse was your gift to me and mine my version which I have used the revised standard American version it calls for the secret heart yes the secret heart the secret the heart or the secret heart but it's not who is it secret from it isn't secret from god it's secret from me thank you yes. my love say it one more time it, and, it isn't and, secret from god it's secret from me and what's interesting it may not even be secret from our spouse they may see it in us even when they can't name it they just know it drives them crazy about it <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely true but you know that truth okay so when I make that snide remark and you know Sandy I feel very convicted right here in this moment on air I'm not even going to tell that story on myself anymore that I called you a shrink what a terrible thing I love this profession so much and people have ministered to so many people I love and there are you and I have mutual colleagues and friends who are who have given their life to it and God has used and it and they love Jesus and they, they love oh and they love Jesus okay so the mixing of that so there was the study of man which in my environment growing up was never done and the study of God done a lot okay mm -hmm. so when I came to merge those two, uh, I was in that merging process when you and I first became friends. And yes. I do think that this verse came to my soul to, at a time when God had brought something to my life, which he knew that I didn't know, that mm -hmm. was transformative. Not yes. formational, but transformative.
And we talk about transformation a lot around here because information is good from your eyebrows up and look, you have an earned doctorate. And formation is good for all the disciplines. And we had a visit with Adele Calhoun who did this lovely book, The Disciplines of the Soul, which are 96 different kinds of ways to grow deeper with God. Disciplines are great, but they're not the end all. But right. transformation through disciplines and information that brings us, and I haven't said this on air, but I've been thinking about it. In Matthew, the verses in chapter 17, 1 through 8, where Jesus is being transfigured. Yes. And there are, his three intimates are there. Yes. Okay. And they were such klutzes. They just <laughs> missed it. Peter. Oh my gosh. I can identify. What a klutz. You know? oh. What does he say? What does Peter say? What klutzy thing does what Peter do? Let's just build a thing here and let you know it's like, we'll just have a big party here. And yes. He just, he just, yeah, he just, bless his heart. He just, missed it and um yeah well he, peter he is just, you know peter's i would have to i would me too who wouldn't have me too let's save this memory let's recall it let's do it again my yeah. husband always says to me when we do something i love i go let's do this again he said honey if we did everything again that you love so much there wouldn't be time to breathe but yeah. transfiguration is a word that I have always, until uh, in recent years, I have always said Jesus was transfigured. Okay? Jesus, like there it is. There it is. It's, it's clear to us. The doves come and he goes away and he goes back to be with his father. And that is so, oh! And then I had this, I just, Sandy, do you know that you and I are going to be transfigured? Isn't that amazing? It's not going to happen the way it happened with Savior, but it's going to happen. And my desire for transformation, for information, for formation, for transformation, is because I desire deeply, more deeply than anything else, that that transfiguration moment, I will be with the Lord forever. And he will say what his father said to him. And then our theological certainties will become our experienced realities. Say it again. Our theological certainties will become our experienced realities. Oh, that's what we should put. Yeah, that is wonderful. So Psalm 51.6, merge those things together. And I have used that with everyone I've ever met um, who's talking about what life um, is bringing them, as you started out today, uh, telling us to remember just what we've been through is not what we are, and how does God overcome that? And I think that that's, that's so important, and I, and I think another so important thing is to know that there are seasons in life that there, um, I think sometimes, especially 
when you're younger and your life is busy and and you're listening to people who are our ages now when i say our ages i want to freely acknowledge my, that my sweet and dear friend donna otto is seven and a half years younger. Oh, she keeps track i love her uh-huh <laughs> And I am much older than she is. I have shoes almost as old as she is. And, um, but if never- we're together, if we're together in a public place, my gray hair and your not gray hair and your lovely face would be considered younger. So well, uh, keep it, keep it. Yeah. Well, we won't go into all those details, but nevertheless. Um, it is important for people, to, uh, for women, for homemakers to understand that there are stages and seasons, seasons. I like that to recognize that there are seasons in life and that the delay of a dream is not the same thing as the death of a dream. I think um, if you can hold on to that reality, that the delay of your dream, um, for instance, my going back to college and then going on to grad school, the delay of that dream didn't mean the death of that dream. And in the meantime, while you're delaying that dream, it may it may be altered, it may be refined, it may be polished and 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 really improved in many ways. And so I just think it's helpful um, to not get discouraged. Don't, don't give it up, but pay attention to it. Pray over it. Um, and just, yeah, just be aware that there are seasons. Don't demand of yourself that you do everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that can be very helpful. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't do counseling anymore. I don't do seminary teaching anymore. When we first moved to Tennessee, I did, I taught one course a year for the first five years. And then I retired from that and I I miss it I do but I realized that it just I didn't really have the energy that it required to invest in it that I thought the students deserved and um, I do miss it but that was a season and I recognized that that season was ending and I I loved volunteering at Vanderbilt Hospital. I volunteered in the pastoral care department. So I got to do the same kind of visits that the chaplains did because of my background. They recognized that that prepared me to do the same kind of visits that the chaplains did. And I did that for five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I relinquished that because physically it was just extremely demanding. And um, I miss it, but I also recognize that that was necessary. And now I'm um, doing, you know, some Bible study and I'm still doing spiritual direction from uh, an office in my home. And of course, still busy meddling in my grandchildren's <laughs> lives. And, and, now, 
And now I have one great grandbaby. So that's very, very special. So So I hear you saying, sweetheart, um, uh, to kind of bring us to the end here, um, that I love the phrase, delay, not death. Yes. Uh, When we have to put something off, it feels like a death. It oh, it feels, does. feels like a death. And the death of a dream is, you know, that it's, it's, it's over. It's a whole different thing that needs to be genuinely grieved. And usually that's, the, that's a death uh, that someone else has slain. That often is a death um, at the hands of someone else. Yeah. Well, I have watched you um, verbally speak truths to others, myself included. And as you verbally speak them, I've watched you, because I've had the privilege of being your friend and and knowing your heart, uh, live those verbal remarks. Um, And I I must say, uh, I didn't do the formal introduction because I wanted you to tell people about your life. But one of the things that I have most admired about you, if admiration is the right word, but I see it as a steadfast place, and that is, yes, you miss it, but your ability to let go and move on. And when you and Garth left Arizona, now, I'll speak for myself, but I know it was true for you, too. Um, I thought that was really stinky. I just really <laughs> thought it was. And, and you know, I want to be always mad at the guy. Like, oh, Garth, what are you? Oh. But but I but knew I that you. That's God calling us here. And, yeah. and for just. It broke my heart initially. It did. It broke my heart. Mm-hmm. And I will say on Sandy's behalf that um, she went there to be in the midst of her two children and five grandchildren and now great-grandchild who isn't close, but um, to invest, reinvest, re-engage. In, and Sandy, it, this just came, comes to me as we're talking. Re-engage with the family as you engaged with it in the early part of your life. And there is a holiness about that cycle for women. We love our and children. It bears saying, and Donna, it, it bears saying that before we knew, and no details, but before we knew that there was going to be a huge, major, shattering crisis in our daughter's family, God brought us here to be here for her and her sons. Yeah. And she has publicly said that if we hadn't been here, she does not think that she would have made it through. And, and I attest to that because I know what you did. But my point is, yes, you guys left. It was still not the desire of your heart, but it was what God was calling you to do. So now I have one more question for Sandy. But before we do that, I want to say something about you. You, you very um, discreetly mentioned one of your books, and I'm going to mention two more of them. Uh, Release from Shame um, is a killer book. And I think that most of us don't. Um, but in a good way. We don't, in a good way. Yes. Well, yeah, no, in a good book. Uh, yeah, you got a uh, must have. Um, <clears throat> because I think the acknowledgement that we have shame is always hard. So picking up a book that describes how to be released from it 
So I want to say to you that Sandy has made a gift to the ministry of copies of three different books, but this book, Released from Shame, uh, get there and get there first, girls, because uh, it is an excellent book, an excellent tool, an excellent tool for raising your children, an excellent tool for, as Sandy's been talking to us about, letting go of the past and moving into what is present. The second book that Sandy has made available to us, it's called Into Abba's Arms, Finding the Acceptance You've Always Wanted. And Sandy, I will never forget your description of climbing up into the father's lap as um, the reason for this book and how it uh, how it had changed your soul. So this book will also be available for those who are as a gift from Sandy Wilson and the Ministry of Modern Homemakers. And then the last one, and this title is still like this is a ragingly wonderful title. Thank you. It Thank is. You. It's hurt people. Okay hurt people okay like can you just spend one minute on how that title came to you well I was actually I called that Wilson's law of relationships and I was using it in seminars and I would say Wilson's law of relationships says hurt people hurt people and the audience would get quiet and they would look and some people would get tears in their eyes. Now, the irony is that the original publisher wanted to change the name. They didn't think the readers would get it. They wanted to change it to hurting people, hurt people. And I persuaded them. I said, please leave it that uh, hurt people, hurt people. I said, trust me they will yeah. get it. They will understand. Yeah. And so they did, to their credit, they did leave it. And the subtitle of this book is Hope and Healing for Yourself and Your Relationships. And uh, when pain causes you to hurt people you love, it, it isn't about your intentionality of waking up one morning to hurt them. That's right. That's exactly right. My mother loved me dearly, but she wounded me deeply yeah. out of her own woundedness. Yep. Okay, I know I have to let you go, and I, my producer is just about to scowl at me, and I'm trying not to look at her face. So I have the last and final question, which I've been asking my friends who've come to be um, my guest here on Modern Homemakers, and that is, aside from Christ and family and what we know to be important values in your life by the work you've done, what is the value that you hold in life that you would share with our audience as being important to you and why? Be willing to forgive. Be will and that may sound so corny, but uh, be willing to forgive and release. For, forgiving is about releasing a debt, a debt no one can pay. What can they do now? to pay it back to you? What can they possibly do now to make it up to you? Um, they can't make it up to you. And be willing to forgive yourself because really what can you do now to make it up to yourself? You can't. Be willing to release that debt and recognize that that person can't pay it you can't pay it and if, and 
I am going to have to say Jesus, but that it has been paid. But, but in human terms, in human terms, the only way we can get through life is to learn to be skillful uh, forgivers. We just have to learn to release debts. Otherwise, we will be crippled uh, and bent over uh, with the burden of, of debts that we'll be carrying. I don't want to let you go, but I have to. I know I do. And, you know, this is that free spirit of mine, my free spirit. My free spirit wants to say, don't you want Sandy to come once a month and talk to us about important issues? Yes, everyone, everyone raise your hand and say yes. Okay, now we'll talk her in. Ah, she raised her hand. <laughs> Dr. Sandra Wilson, I love you dearly from the depths of my soul. You speak to my heart always. Thank you for loving me and for being a confidant of mine. Thank you for joining us today. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of forgiving. Yes. <laughs>